Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning. This is Rick Hughes, host of the Flatline. Thank you for tuning in this morning, and I pray that you will stay with me. 30 minutes of motivation, some inspiration, a whole lot of education. And as you know, never any manipulation. We don't try to con anybody to doing anything here. No hidden agendas, nothing to sell you, nothing for you to join. Just some accurate information that will help you verify and identify the plan of God for your life. If you want to do that, if you'd like to verify and identify that plan and maybe have the opportunity to orient and adjust to the plan, you're in the right place. This is not a church service. This is simply a 30-minute radio show. It's not a dialogue. It's just a monologue. It's just me speaking to you, me giving you some accurate biblical principles taught in the Word of God that will help you keep the outside source of adversity from becoming the inside source of stress. Remember, we always talk about on this show how adversity is inevitable and how stress is, in fact, optional. And we always talk about the phenomenal problem-solving devices found in the Word of God. Phenomenal problem-solving devices found in the Word of God. And we've been reviewing those problem-solving devices, going over those problem-solving devices, trying to refresh them in your memory one more time. Before we move on with a new study that we're going to do called The Doctrine of Your Toe. That's right, The Doctrine of Your Toe. You're probably wondering, what does my toe have to do with my spiritual life? Well, if you stick with me for a few weeks, you'll find out. The doctrine of your toe is coming up. But before we get to that, we have to finish up our study on the 10 unique problem-solving devices, just to go back over them one more time. Now, let's remember what they are. They are God's unique problem-solving devices so that you can live in the devil's world. You can live right here in the middle of the devil's world and have adversity, yes, but no stress. I told you before, adversity is inevitable. The Bible says man born of woman is of a few days and full of trouble. And most of our trouble, of course, is self-induced. You know that as well. Unless you're some legalistic, self-righteous person who thinks that you don't ever do anything wrong. And you may be. I don't know. But not me. I'm all the time messing up. And most of the trouble that I face is self-induced. Sometimes we mismanage our health. Sometimes we mismanage our relationships. Sometimes we mismanage our finances. Sometimes we mismanage our automobile. Anyhow, we get ourselves into a lot of jams in life because we make mistakes. We do not have to let those jams that we get into become stressful. We never have to worry. We never have to be afraid. We never have to be angry. We don't have to be bitter. We can live a different way. It's called the Christian life. We can live actually with a relaxed mental attitude and a sense of humor in spite of some of the adversity that we face if we use the problem-solving devices. If you don't, if you decide that you will handle these problems on your own, you're going to, first of all, human solutions are never a solution. Divine solutions are the only solutions. So you may try to figure out a way that you can solve this, and more than likely, you can't. You're going to have to turn it over to the Lord and wait on him to handle it. And after all, isn't that what you want to do? You handled it once, and you messed it up. 
So why not let him handle it this time? Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a business relationship. You handled it. You messed it up. So how do we fix it? Only God can fix it. You know that. And so let's learn these problem-solving devices so that your day is not spent in fret and worry and in fear and where you antagonize yourself with these mental attitude sins. Remember, the first problem-solving device is always rebound. This is what gets us back into fellowship with God once we're out of fellowship with God. And what is it that gets us out of fellowship with God? Our sin. When we sin, we break fellowship with God. Now, don't give me this garbage about, well, I don't really sin, brother. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. All men sin. All men have a sin nature and women too. We all have a sin nature. We got it from Adam. And we are all going to sin. Now, you might not sin the way I sin because we all have different areas of weakness. Some people are not tempted by money. Others are. Some people are not tempted by drugs. Others are. Some people are not tempted by sex. Others are. So different people have different areas of weakness. And whatever your area of weakness is, you can bet this, that Satan knows it. And if he's going to send a temptation your way, it's not going to be in the area of your strength. It's not going to be where you're the strongest, because he knows you can overcome it there. It's going to be where you are the weakest. And that way, you only have to rely on the filling of the Holy Spirit. You can't overcome it in the energy of the flesh. You don't have the power to overcome it because you are infected with a sin-infused human nature. But if you will walk in the Spirit, the Bible says, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, how exactly do we walk in the Spirit? Well, it's very simple. Number one, we're indwelled with the Holy Spirit the moment we believe in Jesus Christ and receive him as our Savior. Ephesians 1.13 says we're sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. Number two, we are filled with the Spirit the moment we believe in Jesus Christ and receive him as our Savior. But number three, the moment you commit your first sin after being saved, then you quench the Holy Spirit and you grieve the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by that? Well, there are two of you inside there. There is your old sin nature, and there is the Holy Spirit. So you have a physical life that you were living before you were born again, and that's where the old sin nature dominated you. And now you're involved in a spiritual life. You've been born again spiritually, and here's where the Holy Spirit resides in your human spirit. And so you have an old sin nature trying to control your body, and the Holy Spirit trying to control everything. So now what do you want to do? Do you want to walk in the flesh and fulfill the lust of the flesh and the desires of the flesh? The Bible says don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies any longer. You are not, you don't have to be a slave to sin. I don't mean you can stop sinning. That's not what I'm trying to tell you. 
But what I'm saying is this. When you sin, you can rebound and rebound quickly. Rebound means to recover from your sin, to get back, bounce out, bounce back. And rebound is 1 John 1, 9. It is our premier, number one, problem-solving device. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. There will be very few days in your life you don't have to use that verse. And may I suggest you don't wait till you go to bed at night to use it. When you realize you've sinned, go ahead and admit your sin to God immediately. And he will be faithful and just to immediately forgive you and cleanse you from that sin. Technically, what this means is you will put the old sin nature back in the box. And you will let the Holy Spirit once again control you. And I've heard all of the goofy arguments like, well, how many times can I confess the same sin, brother? Well, how about a zillion? Because when God forgives it, he forgets it. He doesn't have a book up there and he's marking it down. Okay, that's one. Okay, that's two. I'm only going to forgive it 22 times. He doesn't do that. Anytime you go to the Father, anytime you admit your sin, he will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will restore you to fellowship through the filling of the Holy Spirit. And sooner or later, you're going to learn, either the hard way or the easy way, what's causing these things and how to avoid it. The filling of the Holy Spirit is problem-solving device number two. Rebound is problem-solving device number one. Rebound. Confess your sin. Get up off the floor. Move on. Don't look back. Don't carry a guilt trip. Name it. Admit it. And move on. I cannot tell you how Satan has successfully destroyed so many people by laying on them a guilt trap. Guilt because they failed. Guilt because they made a mistake. Guilt because they sinned. And they can't get over it. Get over it, my friend. Confess it to God and do not look back. If you're still alive when the dust clears, God still has a plan for your life. What do you think? You're going to be perfect? You think you're never going to sin again after you get saved? What area of weakness you had before you got saved will be the same area of weakness you have after you believe in Jesus Christ. You just have to learn how to let the Holy Spirit Control your life and not give in to the lust of the flesh. When you do, when you mess up, when you commit that same sin again, go to God immediately and admit it. And he's faithful and just to forgive you. If you don't believe that, you can ask David when you get to heaven. If you don't believe that, you can ask Moses when you get to heaven. Because these were great men of God who committed sin and were disciplined mightily for it. And remember that Hebrews 12 says, those whom God loves, he disciplines. You can always bank on it. When we don't rebound, if we don't recover from the sin, the discipline comes, and it comes quick. Problem-solving device number one, rebound. Get out of the sin. Name it. Admit it to God. Problem-solving device number two, staying filled with the Holy Spirit. It controls the problem of the old sin nature. Under the filling of the Holy Spirit, you can fulfill the protocol plan of God. You can operate not in the energy of the flesh, but in the energy of the Holy Spirit. You can manufacture 
gold, silver, and precious stones that God will reward you for, not wood, hay, and stubble. What is that wood, hay, and stubble? Well, that's all the right things you did, but you did them in the wrong way. You trotted off down to church, and you prayed publicly, and you put some money in the offering plate, but the whole time you did it, there was unconfessed sin in your life. Do you think that glorified God? Do you think God was pleased with that? That's human good. Even a lost person could have done that. And so whatever public prayer you prayed or whatever money you put in the offering plate, that's wood, hay, and stubble. It'll be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ because you produced it in the energy of the flesh, not under the filling of the Holy Spirit. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can do exactly the same thing I just said, but this time it's gold and silver and precious stones. Where does the work come from? Does it come from the energy of the flesh or does it come from the power of the Holy Spirit? Because that's the only thing that's going to be rewarded is those things done under the power of the Holy Spirit. Problem solving device number three, of course you should remember, is the faith rest drill. Standing on the promises of God, using faith as a shield to protect you, just like our Lord did in Matthew 4 when Satan came to tempt him during his time in the wilderness. And every time Satan threw a temptation at him, our Lord quoted scripture, he quoted scripture, he quoted scripture. This is your weapon. This is your protection. The word of God. You need to learn to use the promises of the word of God. If you took a piece of paper and sat down at your desk and started writing out how many promises you actually know, how many could you write? How many could you remember? Because, I mean, if you can't remember them, how can you cash them in? How can you use them? I mean, you can call the pastor and say, preacher, what should I do now? But how does that glorify God if you have to try to live your spiritual life off the strength of your pastor? The reason you have a pastor is he's to teach you how to do it yourself. Are you just too lazy to do it yourself? You got too many irons in the fire. I mean, I, I can find a little bit of time to go to church on Sunday, but I'm really busy, brother. That's garbage, and you know it. Your spiritual life, you can grow spiritually daily. It doesn't take all day. You can spend 30, 40 minutes a day in the Word of God and grow every day and feed every day on the Scriptures. That's why God called men, qualified men, to teach His Word, gave them the gift of pastor-teacher. They spend the time every day, 8 to 10 hours a day, hopefully studying the Scriptures so that when they teach it to you, then you get accurate information. If you've got a pastor that doesn't study but spends most of his time running around visiting people, counseling people, I can promise you one thing. you got the wrong pastor. And maybe that's what you want. Maybe you want a pastor that will hold your hand and pat you on the hand and say, it's okay, sister. Brother Al died with it, but you'll make it. I'm just using that as an analogy. I don't know any Brother Al. But you see what I'm saying? You need a pastor that will teach you God's word. Why? So you can learn the ten problem-solving devices. Rebound, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the faith rest drill, grace orientation, 
learning how to live by grace, learning how to function under grace. How did you get saved? The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God and not of works, lest any man would brag about it. Grace orientation is a phenomenal way to grow. Listen to what the Bible says, Second Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's not a request. That's a mandate from God. Grow is a mandate. You are mandated to grow spiritually and understand God's grace. Why? So you can live in grace, you can exploit grace, and you can shower other people with grace. Doctrinal orientation or biblical orientation is problem-solving device number five. This is where you begin to use the sum total of the Word of God, that you begin to orient your thinking to the Scriptures. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the Word of Truth. Hebrews 5.11 says, There are a lot of things I'd like to teach you, brother, but... You can't understand them. You can't handle the meat. So I have to go back and give you the bottle like a baby bottle. Whoever wrote that in Hebrews had an audience that was not very mature. I think of all the many churches where pastors have congregations that are not mature because they don't train them in the word of God. They're not able to take meat and digest it. Doctrinal orientation is you metabolizing the Word of God on a daily basis, you applying the Word of God on a daily basis. If you don't have a pastor that does that, you may have to seek another pastor where you can get it through tapes or DVDs or books. Just be careful of the ones that want to sell you everything because there's a lot of them out there, and they want to sell everything they've got, sell their tapes, sell their books, sell this. Listen, Stay away from that. If God's in it, God pays for it. No Christian minister is ever allowed. He's never authorized to sell the word of God. Paul said we don't peddle it. Paul said we got it free. We give it out free. That's exactly the way it's supposed to be. So when someone starts saying, brother, for a gift of 1995, you can have completely free my message. That's a lie. Doctrinal orientation. Is you learning the word of God on a daily basis. Listen to Luke eleven twenty seven and 28. Here's where our Lord made these words famous. Happiness belongs to those people who hear my father's word and keep it. That's your source of happiness. Basking in the word of God. Having confidence in the word of God. Being oriented to the scriptures, the word of God. And this leads to problem solving device. Number six, your personal sense of destiny. Having a personal sense of destiny doesn't just mean you're going to heaven. It also means that while you're here, God's given you a spiritual gift, and he's equipped you to use that spiritual gift, and you come to understand your place in the plan of God, why he left you here, what your time on earth is all about. It gives you that personal sense of destiny. We've taught some radio shows on this, and I hope you've heard them. And then we move into problem-solving device number seven. And we talked about this last week, your personal love for God. Personal love for God. And we saw where the Bible says, if you say you love God and hate your brother, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. 
personal love for God. How can you love someone you don't know? Can you? And the Bible says this is the love of God, that we keep his mandates. And his mandates are not grievous. 1 John 5, 3. This is the love of God, that we keep his mandates, and his mandates are not grievous. Think you love God? Well, do you obey his word? Well, you say, when, I, when, it, when, it, when it's beneficial to me, I do. Well, I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. How many times have you known I should not do this? And yet you thought, well, it would be beneficial to me, and you went ahead and you did it anyhow. And then it didn't work, did it? Now you wish you'd never done it. And all of a sudden, the walls come crashing down, and now you're back to the Father wanting him to bail you out of the jam, aren't you? Problem-solving device number eight is your impersonal love for other people. You have to understand that. People are human. People have sin natures. Even the best people fail every day. Even your pastor, even the choir director, even Billy Graham. They all fail. Me, you, we all fail because we have sin natures. People have sin natures. And our love is not designed to work only when we're on good terms with those people. There are people that you might not like because they failed you. They let you down. Maybe you invested money and they stole it. Maybe you invested time and they abused it. And now you don't like them. Unfortunately, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to seek revenge. You're not allowed to harbor hate. Because these are mental attitude sins. And so you learn to use impersonal love. You can love any person based on one simple principle. And the principle is this. That your love for that person is not based on their actions. Your love for that person is not based on their performance. But rather your love for that person is based on your very own integrity. That comes from your personal love for God. Did Jesus Christ die for the person that you don't like? Yes. Did Jesus Christ die for you? Yes. Then what makes you different from him? He did something you didn't like. She did something you didn't like. You might not want to spend a lot of time with them. Maybe your personalities clash. But you can love them with an impersonal love. That means you can love them based on who you are, not based on who they are, because that's exactly what God did with you. Does the Bible not say God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? Oh, I think it does, doesn't it, in John 3.16? So what do you think? You were such a wonderful person, and God loved you so much that he gave Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, our Lord, to save you because you were such a wonderful person? No, the bottom line is you're a jerk. I'm a jerk. And if it wasn't for God's wonderful grace, we would have already been greasy spots. So let's get this straight. You're not allowed to hold a grudge. You're not allowed to hate somebody. You're not allowed to be bitter towards people. That's not the plan of God for you. But you can love them. You may have to love them from across the street or around the corner, but... 
you can love them. And that means simply this, that you have a relaxed mental attitude towards that person, that you do not malign or criticize that person in public or in private, and that if that person's in need, you're there to help. doesn't make any difference what they did or didn't do to you. Oh, well, don't you want God to help you when you get in a jam? What if God wouldn't help you because of the sin you committed? Because of the way you turned your back on him. And now when you need him, he says, well, I'm just not going to help you because two years ago when you had the chance, you turned your back on me. See, it's the same thing. God loves you. And you love others, not based on what they do, not based on who they are, based on who you are. When you have personal love for God, you can have impersonal love for others. You can. You can love them the same way God loved you, based on his character and his holiness, or based on your character and you being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, your old sin nature is not going to let you hate and and not going to be able to hate them. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, your old sin nature is not going to be able to seek revenge. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be able to offer forgiveness. So, I mean, it's up to you. You can try to live your life under your own schemes, under your own instincts. You can wheel on off down the my way highway, or you can fulfill the plan of God for your life. I can tell you one thing. You want to have the happiness you've been looking for all your life? I mean, you're not always fishing for the fish, are you? Sometimes you're looking for something that's not necessarily the fish. You're looking for happiness. You're looking for peace. You go fishing looking to find some sort of solitude or some sort of something to give you calmness and peace in your life. And I'm using fishing as an illustration because Thoreau used that word, but it could be something else. It could be knitting. (laughs) It could be roller skating. What you're really doing is you're trying to get rid of the turmoil in your soul. You're seeking some solace. How much better to live without it? How much better to live the Christian life the way God intended for you to live it? In spite of the fact that sometimes you're bumped around like a pinball machine, you can still have tremendous joy because Jesus Christ, our Lord, said, my joy, I leave with you. We just have to focus on his word. That's why the Bible says in Luke eleven twenty seven twenty eight, a passage I gave you earlier, happiness belongs to the people who hear my father's word and keep it. And you've heard it today. No games, no gimmicks, no dancing around the flagpole here. You've heard it straight up. The question is, what will you do with it? Well, I don't know. No, for me and my house, as Joshua said, we're going to serve the Lord. You know why? Because I have learned the hard way that it's not much fun to get out of fellowship and get my brains beat out by discipline from God because that's too hard-headed to learn it the easy way. Are you hard-headed? If not, pay attention because you have just learned how to use impersonal love with the people that you don't even like. Until next week, this is Rick Hughes saying thank you for listening to The Flatline. 
Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054. Or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.